Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Today we're going to talk about my top 10 favorite films from the year 2001. I already did an episode about my top 10 favorite films from the year 2000. Because I am going to do a series of episodes about my top 10 favorite films from each of the years of the 2000s. So, uh, I already did my, my 2001. I hope you liked it. Maybe you didn't even hear it. You can always go back and listen to it. It's there. It's waiting for you. Uh, and, and today we move on to, uh, to the year 2001. Do you think it was an opportunity missed that they didn't re-release Stanley Kubrick's film at 2001 A Space Odyssey in movie theaters back in 2001? Because, and I'm not talking about like retro, uh, like a revival house movie theaters. I'm talking about like, like a wide release. I like that movie. I like that movie a lot. The, the, the part of me that's a fan, that's, that selfishly would have liked that to have happened. And the part of me that just thinks it's neat that, you know, the movie title <laughs> shares the year that they could have re-released it in. I like stuff like that. I think that would have been a good idea. And then another part of me realizes that the general public just probably wouldn't care, would they? They'd go, this movie's boring. It's slow. Um, <laughs> I feel that way. I still feel that way. People think it's boring. But um, <laughs> I don't necessarily think those same people would think that the movies on my top 10 list will be boring. They're not as slow. Yep. Um, these 10 movies are not um, obscure films. I just want to point it out before we start this uh, conversation. You've probably already seen it. If not, you've probably at least have already heard of them. Um, I'm leaning towards thinking you've seen them and that you already have an opinion of them. And maybe you're curious to see if some of your favorite movies from the year 2001 made my list. We'll find out in a moment now, won't we? You can always let me know on Twitter. I'm sure you follow me on Twitter. I feel like the people who listen to this podcast are my Twitter friends. Isaac's Haunted Beard is the name of the Twitter account at Isaac's Haunted Bee. You can let me know what your favorite films of that year is. And, uh, you know, I always mention this whenever I do lists, but I'll mention it again. The ranking does not necessarily mean that I think one film's better than the other. It's just my personal opinion, going by gut instinct of which ones I prefer. And I also give myself some slack, so I'm allowed to change my mind. These just represent how I feel today. But uh, let's talk about these 10 films, shall we? Without further ado, my top 10 favorite films of the year 2001. Coming in at number 10, Pootie Tang. First off, I am happy that there's a movie that exists that's called Pootie Tang. 
<laughs> that's, an, that's an excellent title because I love absurd gibberish. That's my jam. Potutang. Potutang, in case you didn't know, is the name of the main character. It's the name of a person. Potutang is a celebrity in his community. He's a singer and a hero. It's kind of like a vigilante, but not so dramatic. He's just someone who defeats wrongdoers and his weapon of choice is his belt. You know, the thing you use to hold up your pants. He uses it like a weapon, kind of like a whip. Also, he's a man of few words, but when he does speak, it sounds like a made-up kind of gibberish language, but everyone seems to understand him, and he sounds cool. So this movie has bad guys, and Pootie is the hero. In case you haven't figured it out by its title, this is a comedy. It's quite absurd, and I love it. The Pootie Tang character um, was originally introduced on the Chris Rock show. Did you ever see that? Did you, did you know that Chris Rock had a show on HBO back in the late 90s, early aughts, I think? It was like a combination of um, talk show and sketch comedy, and there was a musical guest, and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Pootie Tang was a recurring character on the Chris Rock show. I really loved it when Pootie Tang made appearances, and when I found out that a Pootie Tang movie was being made, I was very excited because there was an ongoing joke on the show that Pootie Tang was going to make a movie, and it was going to be called Sanyo Pity on the Renekin. And I really wish this movie was called Sanyo Pity on the Renekin, but Pootie Tang is also a great title for a movie. So, <laughs> we shall continue. Coming at, at number nine, Wet Hot American Summer. That's also a good title. This is a spoof on summer camp films from the 70s and 80s. It takes place all in one day, the last day of camp in 1981. Like Pootie Tang, it's also quite absurd, and it features an all-star cast of comic actors that include Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, Janine Groffalo, Christopher Maloney, and quite a bit of actors from the sketch comedy group The State. Do you remember The State, the sketch comedy show from MTV from the 90s? Um, I was a big fan. I feel like The State is a big hit with Gen X. Uh, there's also a Netflix prequel series called Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp and a Netflix sequel series called Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later. The strangeness of the Wet Hot American Summer universe gets weirder and weirder with the series, and I'm a fan of all of it. I think it's... Uh, think it's good stuff. And it's good summertime viewing. So we move on to number eight. Coming in at number eight, Ghosts of Mars, also known as John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. I did a podcast episode for this one. Did you listen to it? 
<laughs> it's there in the catalog. You can go back and listen to it. In the future, people are living and working on Mars in a mining outpost. And a group of police officers are sent to retrieve a dangerous criminal. But when they get there, it seems they've entered a ghost town. When the people of Mars are finally discovered, they seemed possessed. And they are. By whom, you may ask? By the ghosts of Mars. If the officers want to survive the violent new versions of these miners, they have to join forces with the criminal they went there to capture and his crew. Um, I love this movie. I love John Carpenter. I feel like John Carpenter is someone that a lot of us love. And I have seen some people dismiss this one, but um, I feel like it's finding its audience finally. Some people are coming around to it. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars feels like a John Carpenter mixtape of a movie. There's a lot of elements from other John Carpenter films in this movie, and I see that as a good thing. And I feel like when you make that kind of movie where it has stuff from other movies, you're especially allowed to do that if you're borrowing from your own movie. But even if you're not, um, to me, the final ver verdict is, is the end result in an entertaining movie. If it's good, then cool. <laughs> Have at it. But if it's not, then, then you can, you know, start to uh, maybe dismiss it because you feel it's ripping stuff off. But I think Osamars is a fun time. So let's move on, shall we, to number seven. Coming in at number seven, The Others. This is a very unique haunted house story. But to touch upon why is to reveal its secret, which I won't in case you haven't seen it. Here's the setup. The year is 1945. A woman lives in a remote country house in Jersey, an island near France, with her two children who have a disease that makes them photosensitive, so sunlight will harm them. So all the rooms in the house must be dark, no open curtains. The husband and father of the family has yet to return home from World War II. And the family recently hired servants who explain that they've worked in that very home many years before. The daughter claims that she starts um, to have seen various people in the house as strange occurrences start happening. And a mystery begins to unfold on whether or not the house may be haunted. This is a very elegantly filmed and performed dramatic horror film that's gorgeously atmospheric. Not for people who only like popcorn horror flicks. This is kind of a, I don't want to say artsy horror film, but it's definitely, it, take, it's, it, it certainly takes itself seriously. It's not exploitive in any way. It's not like, you know, cheap scares and, and uh, <laughs> it's good stuff, but it's, it's, uh, it's graceful. It's, 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 uh, 
it's smart it's intelligent it's uh that shoot that's the same word smart and intelligent you know who's not necessarily smart and intelligent this guy isaac's haunted beard as i stammer to try to explain why the others is different from something like uh you know hollywood chainsaw hookers which is also good in its own way but not from the year 2001 so it doesn't make the list you know what did make the list is our number sixth film sixth <laughs> six ghost world i know what you're thinking you're thinking the others is a ghost story ghost world must also be a ghost story if you're thinking that you would be wrong but guess what i know that you're not thinking that because i know that you are a smart person and you are familiar with this movie already because you know all the movies i know you you know all the movies <laughs> ghost world okay so speaking of ghosts here's a film that has the word ghost in the title yet there are no ghosts in the film this is one of those quirky indie film type comedies that seem like um it's hipster like on the surface but i swear it's good and it's not difficult to enjoy uh it's very likable especially due to the performances of the three leads of the film played by scarlett johansson thora birch and steve buscemi this is mostly about the friendship between a teenage girl named enid and her middle-aged friend seymour who um, she met when seymour placed a personal ad to a woman he recently met to contact him and how Enid answered the ad as a joke with a prank phone call. There are things about this film that are kind of sad, but ultimately I do think this is a funny movie. I think it's very charming and um, it, it plays well on rewatches, you know, it's just a fun little world to um, spend time in. And I feel like of all the movies from 2001, this movie feels very 2001. I could picture the same film working in different eras i guess you could remake this movie now or you could also picture this movie taking place in the 80s or 90s but it doesn't take place in 2001 and it does feel like a nice little time capsule film and uh i enjoy it so we move on to our number five film so also in the same vein of uh ghost world and that it's a comedy and it's kind of quirky but no eh, has its own you know its own feel its own personality our number five film is the royal tenenbaums this is a wes anderson film although it's not my favorite wes anderson film it's the one that i would use as my answer if the question was which wes anderson film should i watch if I've never seen any of his films before to see if I could like his style in a way, this one film kind of feels like all of his films, <laughs> uh, Wes Anderson has an aesthetic that's recognizable throughout his movies. And this movie like hits every note, everything that I associate with him is in this one movie earlier. I mentioned how John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars feels like a John Carpenter mixtape of a film. Well, uh, 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 specifically in a, a mixtape of John Carpenter films, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums kind of feels like a, a Wes Anderson 
mixtape of Wes Anderson films, which is kind of funny because it's only his third film he's ever made. But by his third film, it already kind of feels like it's so him, like all the things you expect from him are in this one movie. And if you don't like him, you're not going to like this movie. But if you do like him, um, this is the one for you, right? <laughs> What's it about? Well, I'll tell you. It's about a family whose siblings experienced great success in their youth, but disappointment and failure as adults. Their father, who abandoned them as children, tries to re-enter their lives as adults and reconnect with them. But because he knows they wouldn't want to see him, he fakes a terminal illness to attempt a reconciliation. And it works. He re-enters their life. Of course, with any story where one character is um, lying, eventually that lie will be exposed. So, you know, you know it's gonna it's gonna happen. This is an artsy dramatic comedy with an ensemble cast that includes Gene Hackman, Owen Wilson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson, Danny Glover. Angelica Houston and Bill Murray. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's my number five, the Royal Tenenbaums. Now the next movie is also a quirky comedy, but very, very different from the Royal Tenenbaums. One could even argue that the Royal Tenenbaums is comedy for more highfalutin film <laughs> viewers. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Um, and that the movie I'm about to honor next is a comedy for the cretins of <laughs> film viewers, the lowest of the lowbrow. At number four, Freddie got fingered widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made it's clear to me that this film is not for mainstream audiences this is a bizarre almost surreal dark comedy filled with many moments that borderline plays like a like performance art i feel like this movie was ahead of its time because it wasn't long before weirdo comedy became visible regularly on adult swim programming uh you know what i'm talking about like um tim and eric and uh just you know really strange uh surreal absurdist comedy type stuff um this predates that and and tom green who is you know the star of the film and the director um He's a trendsetter, right? I mean, in that, uh, or pioneer, is that the better word? Pioneer in, in that, that style of comedy, which I know angers and annoys a lot of people, but like a lot of artists who anger and annoy a lot of people, you always find that, that small loyal group of people that do connect with it, um, connect with it very deeply because 
I guess they identify with. They're like, I'm a weirdo. He's a weirdo. This is, this is me. This is my brain too. I totally get it. Cause I feel like if you don't, you can't convince someone who doesn't that there's something there to get. It just seems like trash, but, um, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Okay. What's the plot? <laughs> Tom Green plays Gordon, a young man who wants to be a professional cartoonist, but his father doesn't believe in him and wants him to give up his dream and get a more regular job, any job. This is mostly a war between a father and a son. This film is not for most people, but for that very select group of people who adore truly out there ideas and comedy, this film is quite remarkable for everyone else. It's just annoying and gross. This film was directed by Tom green. It stars Tom green. And, um, you know, I've read Tom green's autobiography. Uh, it's called Hollywood causes cancer. And in that book, he talks a lot about his relationship with his father. And I had seen the movie before I'd read the book. And then when I was reading the book, I'm like, Whoa, it's weird how much of this book is like the movie. So then you watch the movie again, or I watched the movie again after reading the book. And I found myself thinking that in a weird kind of way, Freddie got fingered is a true story. <laughs> so it's not a true story, but there's things about that movie that happened to him in real life that, that mimics his relationship with his father before he became famous. And now his father just wanted him to just be normal and get a regular job. And, you know, didn't believe in, I guess, Tom's, you know, dream of becoming a weirdo comic celebrity, but everything turned out all right. So yeah, coming in at number four was Freddie got fingered, which is also a good title, but not necessarily the kind of title you may feel comfortable saying in front of a mixed company. All right. We are moving away from comedy. Finally. Um, we're moving into the world of science fiction, which we touched upon earlier, right? With Ghosts of Mars. This is very different from Ghosts of Mars. Uh, but like Ghosts of Mars, this movie is also done by a very celebrated, talented filmmaker, Steven Spielberg, coming in at number three, AI, artificial intelligence. A couple have a young son with a rare disease placed in suspended animation until a cure can be found, but it doesn't look like there'll be one. So do, so they do what any said couple would do. They get a robot kid. <laughs> Isn't that what you would do? Now this is a science fiction film that takes place in the future directed by Steven Spielberg. So, you know, the budget is big. I could picture the same concept being done in a sm much smaller scale, but, um, I think it's to its benefit that this is a very grand looking picture. So eventually their child is awoken from suspended animation because the cure, they cured his disease. 
So they don't need Robot Kid anymore. So they abandon him in the woods like one would to a Robot Kid. <laughs> Robot Kid's name is David. And he goes on a journey to find the Blue Fairy. Someone he heard about in a story called Pinocchio. David figures that if he's turned into a real boy, like the Blue Fairy did for Pinocchio, his parents will take him back. Do you like this movie? Have you seen this movie? <laughs> I think this movie is amazing. I love this movie. Uh, Haley Joel Osment plays David. He does such an amazing job. And uh, this on The Sixth Sense, I think, are the two films I think of the most when I think of young Haley Joel Osment and his um his the peak of his i guess success as a as an actor in movies you know was you know as a kid and uh he got to be in some really uh big movies in the beginning at least and this movie was originally going to be made by stanley kubrick at the beginning of this episode i mentioned to mr kubrick because uh 2001 so i guess it all ties together and it was a film that he had kind of like, you know, started and, you know, and then abandoned and for various reasons, you know, he'd return to it and then like that, you know, for whatever reason, he'd go, nah, I'm going to make this other movie instead. He even talked to Steven Spielberg. I'm like, oh, maybe you should make it. You know, it's probably more up your alley. So Steven Spielberg had been in talks with Stanley Kubrick to potentially make AI. But at the end of the day, the last we left off, uh, Kubrick uh, was leaning towards, okay, well, he'll make it. And then he like, uh, once more time, once more, he he pushed it back to make his next film, which was Eyes Wide Shut, which turned out to be his last film because he died, at which point Spielberg made AI as, um, I guess, as a tribute to his friendship with Stanley Kubrick and because he knew he was hand-chosen to be the guy that was trusted to do this this grand project. And I think he did a really good job. So coming in at number three, AI, artificial intelligence. All right. Coming in at number two. Oh, gosh. Speaking of another amazing film director in the same vein of Stanley Kubrick, Mulholland Drive. After surviving a car accident one night, a woman winds up wandering into an empty apartment. Another woman whose aunt owns the apartment, but isn't there right now, shows up and meets the first woman who has amnesia. In an attempt to help her remember who she is, they look in her purse and discover a large amount of money and a blue key. The mystery begins. If you like mysteries i'm not going to just immediately recommend this movie for you you need to know what you're getting into it's a david lynch film his stuff is really really surreal it's super confusing as a lot of people have pointed out the bigger mystery isn't so much what is the identity of this woman the bigger mystery is what is this movie about because trust me even though that first description that i just gave you sounds like it's the beginning of a traditional mystery it gets very, very confusing rather quickly. When you are done with the film, you'll be scratching your head and be like, what did I just watch? And for a lot of people, that's 
um, not pleasant. They don't like that. I love it. I think it's such a well-made film that I actually enjoy it. I don't, in, I don't care if I can't figure it out. Um, you know, sometimes you don't need to figure it out. You can just enjoy a movie for what it is. And uh, it's art. So there you go. Number two, Mulholland Drive, which leads to number one. I know you've seen this movie. My number one film of the year 2001 is Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko is a troubled teenager who sometimes sleepwalks. One night, while sleepwalking, he meets a man in a scary-looking rabbit costume who tells him exactly when the world will end. While Donnie is outside, he escapes death when a jet engine crashes into his bedroom. And things just keep getting weirder from there. So not as weird as David Lynch's Malholland Drive, but weird in its own way. And unlike Malholland Drive, although you may disagree with what I'm about to say, I do think that this is the kind of confusing mystery that can be explained. Um, it takes some, some, <laughs> some thought, some, some deep thought, but there, there, there is, it does make sense. There is a, there is a way to explain Donnie Darko, but we're not going to do it today because we just ran out of time. And I want to thank you for letting me tell you what my favorite 10 films from the year 2001 are. And we're going to do this again when I tell you what my favorite top 10 films of 2002 are. So until the next time we talk about movies, I want you to take care of yourself and each other. All right. Until next time. Aloha.